Hey guys, it's awesome to be back up here again. It's super fun. Um, there's actually a pretty good chance that I wasn't even going to be able to be here tonight. For those of you guys that know Michelle Raby, she's pregnant and has asked me to be in the delivery room, which is slightly terrifying, but fun all at the same time. Um, and she's due any minute. She was actually due on Sunday. And um, so we've just been like watching the clock. And um, this morning I texted her a picture. You guys might have seen it on Facebook. <laughs> I basically just said, hey, I'm ready for my message tonight, but if Cohen is his name, if he comes, I'm ready for you too. So I had all my gear out, ready to catch him, um, if Joe's not, so snorkel, everything. Um, so for the last, I don't know how many months, we've been going through 1 Corinthians and just breaking down the character of God and who he truly is to us and just trying to break any lies off of who we had known him previously to be. It's just been really cool to see how amazing and awesome our God, our Father is. Because there's so many of us in the room that have never really experienced a love like that, or a Father like that. There's so many of us that don't have a Father in our life, or maybe he was there but just wasn't that great of a guy. Um, and it just kind of made me picture, if you guys will just picture with me that you're just like a child, and growing up you just, you never knew your Father, and all you ever wanted was just a, a dad or a father that would just love you, and not just love you, but love you properly, like know how to show his love and express his love to you. That all you ever wanted was a, a dad that could have fun with you and take you out and do fun things and um, like comfort you and protect you and provide for you, like all these things a father should be. And then one day, um, say every day, every year on your birthday, you get a cake and like, you blow out your candles and what you wish for is just a dad that would, you know, you can be his little buddy or daddy's little princess. And these are just all you've ever, ever wanted your whole life. And then one day you get a letter in the mail and you open it up and you start reading it and it's from your dad. And it's just saying how amazing he is and um, you know, I've always loved you and I've always cared about you and I can't wait to meet you. Like let's, you know, get together and hang out and get to know each other. And even your brothers and sisters are writing in there just confirming, like, dad is awesome. Like, I can't wait for you to get to know him too. Like, we're always spending time together, having so much fun. He provides for us and loves us and is just so evenly tempered and fun and all these things. And if you're this kid, I mean, what would be the first thing that you do? I mean, you'd be running out the door out to go meet him, right? I mean, you'd be so excited. Your dreams are totally coming true. But let's say while you're reading this letter, you know, your mom walks in and she's kind of looking over your shoulder reading the letter and she's just kind of whispering to you like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, are you sure you want to meet him? Like, what if he's not who he says he is? Like, that's going to that's gonna hurt pretty bad. Just the, what a letdown that's going to be. So you take your letter and you just tuck it away and put it in your back pocket and you just kind of go on with your day. But you're stoked because you learn that your dad is really awesome. So you go to school and you're telling all your friends how amazing your dad is, like, he's so cool, you know? And they're like, well, what's he like? Like, do you get to hang out with him ever? And no, I just kind of know about him from this letter. You're like, all right, cool, it's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> and you just tuck it away and you're like, that's totally enough for me. I don't need to get to know him. Like, just knowing that he exists is enough. And it's like, sound familiar at all? Is that not totally how we are? Like we have the Bible, it's this amazing love letter from our father telling us how amazing life could be if we're with him. We're just like, meh, it's cool just on paper. I don't need to experience it for myself. I'm cool how I am. 
Nothing else doesn't really matter to me. It's good enough. And so it doesn't matter who your dad is. He might sound amazing on paper, but if you don't step into your identity as a son or daughter, you're still just an orphan. Doesn't matter who he is, he can be the most amazing father. You can have the most amazing father in the world, which you do, but if you just keep it on paper, you're still just an orphan. Mike and I are in the uh, process of moving right now. Mike, my fiance, whoop, getting married in July. Um, so we've been moving all this stuff to, to my house because he's moving in with his parents and we've been unpacking boxes and I've been having to throw away all these things that I've hoarded for my whole life. And um, I came across this cast. <laughs> you don't want to see my garage. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is from the sixth grade. I couldn't th- bear to throw it away. Um, I fell rollerblading and, um, in front of my whole sixth grade class. It was really traumatizing. And, and I broke my wrist. And for weeks, I was begging my parents not to take me to the hospital because I knew if I went, the doctor would A, tell me um, I couldn't play softball because I was in the middle of softball season, and B, I would look like a total wimp for going to the doctor. So I got them to negotiate with me, like, okay, we'll wait two weeks. When the swelling goes down, you're going to the doctor. And I said, okay, awesome. Like, you guys love me so much, you know? And um, <laughs> so every day, you know, I'd be in the shower and I'd be like, oh, you know, it's like hurting or I'm like trying to write and it was, you know, clearly broken. Um, but I was so stubborn, I wouldn't go. And so I was just living in all this pain, you know, every single day because of these lies. Like, I thought it was a really bad thing I wouldn't be able to play softball and I thought all my friends would think I was stupid or not stupid but wimpy and sure enough finally I go and of course it's broken and of course he said don't play softball and it was crazy because leading up to it I was so upset that I was not going to be able to play softball but all he was doing was protecting me from further harming myself because I know I would have been out there like hitting balls and who knows what my wrist would look like today so it's like with God, we get so nervous that he's going to like take something from us, you know, because we want it right this minute. And he's really just protecting us from prolonging um, like destruction we're going to do to ourselves. It didn't matter who my doctor was, but if I didn't go see him, it didn't matter. The moment I went to the doctor, it was like instantly my pain was gone, you know, it was on the road to recovery. So it's like, why do we do this? Why do we sit here with all this? Like, we have the resources. We have the God that can, has the keys to our freedom and our health. And we can just sit here and be like, oh, woe is me. Like, I'm, I'm okay just like limping along with my broken arm. It's just, it's because of the lies. The lies that we believe, our past hurts, our fears, the walls that we've put up around our mind. And just like the example with the little kid, as we start getting cr- truth or getting closer to God, it's like how the mom was just kind of whispering, are you sure that's who he is? Are you sure you want to trust that and expose your heart open to that? And those lies just come from the enemy. And as we start gaining truth, he tries to start taking ground back into, into our minds. And the most dangerous thing about the enemy is that he disguises himself. So the two main things that he disguises himself as are you and me, and God. Because he's a total coward, right? He'd never just like come straight at us, like, come at me, bro, you know, like a full on, like head on, like fight. He's always kind of like lurking and like sneaking around. 
And he disguises himself as like your thoughts, or my thoughts, and God's thoughts. So I'm sure we've all had those situations, you know? Like maybe you're studying for finals and it's the night before a test and you should really be studying, but you're like, oh, I know I should just go out to that party. Like I know that's the right thing to do. And you're like battling in your mind, you know? Or maybe you've been dating someone for a while and you're like, oh, God is so in the middle of this relationship. He is so the center. Like I know God's telling me the next thing to do is to sleep with whoever I'm dating. And it's lies. He just, he confuses us is one of his main tactics. He loves to feed us lies about who we are, lies about our identity, because we can experience really horrible things in our lives and recover from them relatively quickly as long as we're listening to the right voice. Because it's not the situation necessarily that brings all the pain, it's the lies in, in the message that keep prolonging that thereafter. Because you can sustain, you know, go through a situation that seems really traumatizing in the moment, but really quickly get up and walk away from it. Like say if you're in kindergarten and you, you know, skin your knee on the ground, at, on the playground, and all the kids are pointing and laughing because you're crying. You're in kindergarten, like not a big deal, right? But ever since that day, you swore to yourself that you would never cry in front of anyone ever again. And it's, it wasn't the situation that was so painful, but it was a lie that you're weak if you show that kind of emotion in front of anyone. And just think, so now you're grown up, maybe you're a mom or a dad, and that same you know, closed up emotions is being expressed in your family. And that same like, closed off emotions is being passed down to your kids. And it's crazy how one little experience back when we were in kindergarten can totally affect our entire life, if not all of our kids, and keep on going on for generations if we don't stop it. So, you know, the enemy wants to take our traumas and our situations in our life to just like leverage it from, and manipulate it and just keep it perpetuating, which is why it's so important for, for us to start identifying when the enemy's at play. And it's crazy just how we have a God that is so faithful, yet so mistrusted, and an enemy that has never kept a promise, yet is so followed. Like God is so trustworthy, yet we'd fall the enemy off, off a cliff every time. It's crazy. And he's so stealthy that we often don't even realize who we're fighting, because he's coming as our thoughts or God's thoughts, like disguising himself that way. And usually we don't even realize that we're in a fight at all. So we're just like, meh, this is totally God or totally me thinking this. So like I'm just gonna roll with it. First Peter 5:8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone he may devour. Did you catch that? Whoa. (laughs) Who he may devour. Like a roaring lion prowling around looking for someone he may devour. May. It means we have a choice in the matter. Not, he's not looking for someone, oh, like randomly selecting or someone he's been like plotting out for years, you know? He's looking for someone that's like opening the door to him. Someone that's kind of left themselves vulnerable. And here's a few ways that we can kind of go about um, like tactics to identifying when the enemy's at work and how to kind of repel him. The first one is to expose it to the light. Whatever the situation is, if there's any kind of fear or shame in the situation, it's a major indicator that the enemy's at work. That's like the number one indicator. So it's super important that we just expose it to the light. Flip on the switch. 
Because the, the enemy is the prince of darkness, right? So anything that you keep in the dark, he's just gonna keep leveraging and, and using against you to just continue hurting you. The moment you flip on those stadium lights, it's like in, the, uh, in God's kingdom. So he just helps it right away. I always picture kind of like um, a deer in the headlights, right? And it might be because I've hit a deer going 80 at four in the morning. <laughs> so it's like burned in my, in my mind. But it's like you picture the deer and they're just like bounding through the darkness, right? And the second you're, they come in your headlights, it's like, you know, they freeze and it's paralyzed. They're like paralyzed for a couple minutes until you hit them with your minivan. <laughs> but it's just what's so important, like bring it to light, talk to someone about it. And even if there's something that comes to mind right now, like talk to someone about it. It's being, you're being kind of prompted for a reason. And you're like, oh, there's no one I can talk to about it because it's just too shameful. Exactly, talk to someone about it. <laughs> after, after service, I mean, we have people up here. Some of them might not even know you, so what do you got to lose? I mean, they don't know your past or anything. It's, they're amazing prayer warriors up here to help you just work through it and shine light on it. I kind of picture, um, like at nighttime, you ever have those nights where you're just like have to go to the bathroom or have to go downstairs to get something to drink or to eat? And I know for me, whenever I have to do that, I like, I do everything I can to not open my eyes and not turn on a light. So it's like I know exactly how many steps it takes to the end of my bed and then to the door and then downstairs, you know, because I know if I open my eyes or turn on a light, I'm not going back to sleep. And it's like you actually get like pretty good at navigating through the darkness, right? you kind of like get calculated and you're like, all right, I know exactly where I need to go. Until one night, bam! You step on a Lego or like, you like kick a stool that was not, you know, where it should have been. I think Sean Lawrence said one time, the fastest way to take a grown man to the ground is to have him step on a Lego barefoot. I mean, right, have you ever stepped on a Lego? It's like, just strolling along, you're like, oh, like I'm down, you know? <laughs> it's the worst thing ever. And it's like, that's exactly how the enemy wants, where he wants you to be, right? Just kind of like walking in fear, like kind of, you know, what, where am I going now? Because when you're walking in fear, you're just walking way more slowly, you're weak, you're kind of like in worry. And when you're walking in fear, you're anticipating the enemy to move. Whereas when you're walking in faith, you're anticipating God to move. So if he can keep you walking in fear, he's keeping your focus on him and off of God. And so it, it just keeps perpetuating just like that. Tactic two is don't delay. Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. I mean, we've all had the situations, right, where you're, like dealing with something. I know like with Mike and I, I mean, for a long time we dealt with the, maintaining our purity. And it was just, it was a nightmare, right? Because something would happen and it's like, oh, we should call someone and talk about it so that like we don't make it a habit. And we're like, no, we'll just call tomorrow because it's late. And then sure enough, like overnight, all these thoughts start coming in your head and by the next morning you're like, I'm not calling anybody. That is so embarrassing that we've like crossed that that line again, you know, and the enemy starts putting all these slots, like they're gonna think you're a failure and you've gone back there again. You just, you give the enemy room and time to start brewing in your mind. So it's like, you need to get it out right away. Tactic three is um, 
quality control. So I kind of picture, apparently I picture a lot of things in my mind. I kind of picture um, like an assembly line coming, you know, and you're kind of, you have those pads on, you know, when you're like practicing someone boxing. You're standing at the assembly line, it's like coming at you and words are coming at you and it's like, you're ugly and you're like, bam, no, like, you're a daughter of God and you're like, all right, I'll take that one and then like, you're this and you're that and you're like, bam, bam, like blocking them out and you're just taking in what's good. Like you need to be able to identify and expel the words that are not from God. Like, you know, God is love and you're like, I mean, no, take that one. And you're like, <laughs> forget that analogy. You get the point. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where um, it really comes key to have an artillery of just verses memorized and on your heart. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So when people start, maybe people or the world or whatever it is, start just saying things towards you that aren't true, like you're not smart enough to get a promotion or you know, you're not way not worthy enough for dating that guy or getting that husband or whatever it is. You're like, no, actually. And then you start listing out all these different truths. It's really just, it comes in such key in those moments. And as words come, as those, you know, words come your way, like in Romans how it says you need to be able to test and and approve um, that those words are true. So it just, hiding them on your heart or or storing them in your heart are what are key. Because the enemy just continues to try to seduce us into turning away from God. And when we do, he's right right on the other side just spewing more lies towards us to keep us away. So we need to be able to have just like the shield to be able to just reflect those things as they come. Tactic four is just having having battle buddies. Have people that will go to battle for you. Because the enemy knows once he can isolate you, (laughs) you're done, you know? And he knows once you get in a big army, it's so hard to pull you away. Like, you guys are in a big battle, buddy crowd right here. There's so many Thursday nights where I'm, I'm so, you know, I'm busy throughout the week. It's like, this is the last place I want to come. But it's the first place I want to come, right? And he's just like, no, you have other things to do. It's like, you just have to fight all those lies because what he'll try to do is attack your, your army and make it seem like, no, that's not a big deal. You don't need to go there, you know? You're not going to get much truth. Or maybe people that are speaking here, people on worship, whatever it is, they'll make you feel uncomfortable, you know, so you don't want to come back. Maybe you've had a friend that came here like, I had a bad experience at Epic Life. <laughs> I get it. I understand. The enemy's trying to attack. So when those things come, you need to put that up against the truths, right? And test and approve. Is that really legit or am I just kind of under a mental attack here? Because there's people sitting all around you that are ready to go to battle with you. There's people that are battling with, for you throughout the week that you might not even know. Every Wednesday morning, we have people that pray here for you. Even if they don't know you, they're praying for your lives, praying for health and good things to come your way and just truth to be poured over you. Thursdays before Epic Life, people meet in the back, praying for you. Throughout the week, I'm sure there's even more people praying for all of you. There's small groups, I mean, there's ways to get plugged in. The guys group, the girls group, people are there armoring up for each other, learning about each other's lives. Tactic five is um, like speaking affirmations over yourself. 
We even put some on some of the tables over here. Uh, Waterbury brought some of those cards. It's so important. There's something to be said about speaking it out loud, right? Because things will come your way that are tearing you down all day long. There's so many people in here that I know that, um, you know, write it on their, on their mirror, whatever it is, in the mornings. And every morning they're speaking out loud who they are, who they are in God, who God is to them. Speaking their identity. I have to do this for myself often lately. We're getting married, and there's so many lies that come up when you're getting married or surrounding a wedding. Like, I hate feeling like I'm a financial burden to people. You know, because there's a lot of money that goes into a wedding. Like my parents spending money, bridesmaids spending money, their showers, bachelorette parties, the wedding, getting dresses, all these things. And I've, I mean, when we first picked the venue, I sat down and I was just crying. I was like, I can't do this. People are going to have to drive somewhere to go to my wedding. Like, for me, like, I'm so not worth it, you know, and all these things. And you have to just speak truth over that because that's ridiculous. We're worthy of all those things and people are happy to do it. If God spoke the world into existence, the words that we're speaking have power, right? I was reading somewhere and it said, if you wanna know what your future looks like, listen to what you're saying about yourself today. So what are you saying about yourself today? What are other people saying about you that you're just letting come in that you should be batting away? I want to bring your attention to uh, Matthew 12, 43 through 45. I think we have it for the wall here. We're on the, there we go. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, slept clean, slept, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live there. And the final condition of the person is worse than it is worse than the first. Man, like when I first read this I was like this is pretty intense. Spirits coming in, going out, all this stuff. So let's kind of break it down here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, what's the impure spirit? The devil, right? It goes through the arid places seeking rest and does not find it. So rest for the devil looks a little bit different than us. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy, right? A little bit different than sitting back in your lazy boy. So he's going somewhere, he's trying to find it, not finding it. So he says he'll return to the house that he left to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So what's the house? The house is you and I, like we're the house. So he's coming back with a vengeance. It's kind of like when you like are laying down maybe in your lazy boy in the backyard, like a lawn chair and there's bees, you know, and you're like, I'm into swatting tonight apparently. <laughs> like swatting at the bees and they, they leave and you're like kind of relaxed and they just come back with a vengeance, you know, and you're like, I don't know, freaking out. Okay, left the house. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, slept, swept clean and put in order. So basically, you know, you've swept it clean, you've gotten all the evil out, right? In the words of Camille Knopf, maybe you've cleaned up your SHT, like she said last week. Um, so you've just kind of cleaned your act up. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. So basically, you know, maybe you've gotten your, your cleaned up your stuff, 
So it's gonna take a little bit more muscle for him to get back to you, right? Then they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. So I'm sure we've all experienced this, right? Where you've dealt with something, you've, you know, think you've closed the door on it, and then days later it's like, it's back. You're like, man, like I thought I just dealt with that. Like I've been doing so good. And it's just so much more discouraging every time it happens. Like, I've dealt with that five times now and it just keeps getting worse and you get more discouraged every time and you feel more and more hopeless every time, every time. So why does this happen? Well, the answer is in the text. Just want to point out um, like, and hone in on verse 44. When it, it is a devil, arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Unoccupied. We are unoccupied. We're unoccupied by who? By Jesus. Just because we sweep our lives clean and maybe get the evil out, we could still be void of Jesus. So just because we've turned from the enemy doesn't mean that we're necessarily turning towards Jesus. So what does this not mean? This does not mean just because you've stopped actively pursuing evil that you're actively, automatically pursuing God. We can be idle, just kind of like neutral. And I think that's what happens so often is we're like, I know with Mike and I was like, oh, we're not having sex, like we're doing fine, you know? We've totally got this. But we're not filling, we weren't filling Jesus into us. So Luke eleven twenty three says, if you aren't with me, you're against me. Like we need to choose him, like consciously make an effort and choose, turn towards him and choose him. It's like in marriage. Like you need to choose your husband or wife, right? Daily, just like Jesus, daily. You might not be chasing after other people, but you need to be chasing after who you're trying to pursue here. It's been like wisdom we've been gaining in DTR. It's for, just a plug for DTR. If any of you guys are in a relationship or ever gonna be in a relationship, you should sign up for DTR, it's been awesome. Jared and Charity rock, everyone else in there rock. It's been really fun. So you need to be pursuing Jesus, right? What that means is just like putting up boundaries against other things that might be stealing your attention. Like, in, like going to bed early, like I'm setting a, a boundary to go to bed earlier so I have more energy in the morning to wake up and pursue him and be with him and get to know him. We get so fo- focused on living a life absent of evil rather than full of Jesus. We just focus way more on just being absent of the enemy, absent of all these bad things, rather than living in the presence of God. And we get it reversed. Like if we focus more on living in the presence of God, the whole evil thing would kind of just work it, like God would help us battle through that. I hear it all the time. Like I, my boyfriend and I, we've, you know, we've been so good for like three weeks, you know, we haven't done anything. It's like, sweet, like high five, you know, like right on. Well, then the question comes like, all right, what are you filling that void with? Because we're hungry people, right? Like we get the cravings for whatever it is that we're not filling that void of. If we starve ourselves long enough, we'll sell our soul to feel full. So like whatever it is, we need to fill those voids, fill in those holes. We feel like once we like empty the, the bad things out, you know, take out our trash, that we're bulletproof, like we're totally golden and we're totally off the radar of the enemy, not susceptible to him at all. Wrong, 
So we get it so wrong. Right after Jesus was baptized, he was tempted. Luke 4.13, when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So did he succeed at you know, tempting Jesus? No, oh, it's Jesus. <laughs> he left and he was waiting for the opportune time. He was waiting for a door to be opened. And the longer we stay empty, the more susceptible and just weak we become and um, open, you know, we maybe forget and just leave doors open. Mike would be mad about this, but this morning, um, I ran into that, I like went out the garage because I grabbed my softball mitt to take that picture to text to Michelle. And I was driving down the road and um, super random, but I was like, I should wear my tie-dye shirt in the picture just to make it more weird, I don't know. And so I'm like, way down the road, and normally when I forget stuff, I'm like, forget it, I'm already in the car, I'm not turning back. And I was like pretty far from the house. I was like, no, I'm going back. That'll totally make the picture better. I didn't. Um, so, so I just felt so strong, like I needed to go back to the house. And sure enough, I left the garage door wide open and I was the last person to leave. Uh, and all Mike's tools and bikes and everything are in the garage. So I was like, thank you God for the tie-dye shirt. <laughs> so glad. <clears throat> So the only way that we can keep evil out is to put something in, right? I kind of picture, again, geez, um, like one of those Play-Doh toys, you know, like the kind where you push something into it and it like spews out all the Play-Doh out of the holes? Well, I feel like, G- like the enemy's the one in there and Jesus is the thing that's like ramming it out, right? <laughs> so, I don't know, that's just how I picture <laughs> But you might be thinking, <laughs> <laughs> the Holy Spirit lives in me, right? Yeah. For most of us in here, I'm sure. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but, but God, he's a gentleman. He's not gonna force himself on us. Like you can picture like he's our landlord, right? Your landlord just doesn't come barging in. This thing has been in my way all night. Um, just doesn't come barging in, you know, uninvited. So it's like, that's why we have to continually, daily, be inviting him in. He's not a dictator. He's not going to force himself on us. And we don't have to fear the, the enemy or the devil because he's already been defeated. 1 John 4.4. 4, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. He's already been defeated. So all we have to do is just battle up. Take God as our battle buddy, Right? Those of you who know our story know it's been like a long road for Mike and I, just early on. We're managing, trying to get the whole purity thing down and it like just about destroyed our relationship and a lot of our relationships in here. It came with lying and hiding things and um, all kinds of really unfun things went on. And um, it's because for a long time we were just, we were acting out of obligation and responsibility Like we're staying pure because it's the right thing to do, right? Not because we knew the value of it or really knew like who God saw us to be or the future that he had for us. And we, you know, we never wanted to talk about it because then we knew we'd get lectured again. You know, we just saw it as lectures and it's the last thing we wanted to talk about. And so we just kept it in the dark and the enemy just kept leveraging it against us and using his pain against us. And when we act out of obligation, it gives us the thought that like something good is being withheld from us. 
Like we had just this total bitter attitude like, oh, we can't do this and we're missing out on all this fun and all this stuff. And it was so wrong. Like as, you, as we started stepping into our identity as a son or daughter, we saw the value in it and why God calls us to do that. Why the doctor told me I couldn't play softball. He's helping prevent us from just more prolonged, deeper injury to ourselves. He's not a joy kill. He's our protector and he invests in us and, and um, pulls us along to our future. Because we started to learn and just reading more as we started filling us with, with God that... Um, like, the whole idea of sex is you're supposed to be naked and unashamed, right? We'd never, we still have never experienced that because we're not married. And something, if any of you that have had, you know, maybe didn't wait till marriage, think to the first, I don't know, this might be a bad idea, but think to the time, like, the first person that you ever had sex with and broke up with. Like, how painful that was, right? It was devastating, probably. It's because you did something with someone that was meant to be done with someone forever. So anytime that you've dated someone and had, had sex with them before marriage, it's brutal when you break up and that's done because you're doing something with someone that was supposed to be held for marriage and with that person forever. If you guys have ever heard, I don't know, some of you guys listen to Stephen Furtick, you might have heard him say, activity can't come before identity. Identi- identity must always precede activity. It's like, why? Because we can't obey apart from the spirit of God in us, at least not for very long. So we need to be able to have that identity of who God is and see the value of why certain things um, are being called for us. Um, On the tables around you guys, we have, um, we put some lists for affirmations. So if you guys need ideas and just truths to just read over your lives, you guys can grab one of those. And we also put um, some sheets on there for uh, lie detectors. So some of the like, tactics in here are part of the lie detector. And this is something that you learn in Christ's life and you want, if you want them, you can grab them before you guys leave. Um, but Yeah, if you guys want, you guys can pass them around. Um, and even right now, like if you guys get a sheet and if anything while just we were talking, like comes to mind like a painful situation or like a lie that's been spoken over you, um, I just encourage you to take it and write it down. And like we said, don't delay, just write it down now and get it on paper and get it out of your mind. Because if you just keep it in there, it'll just keep brewing. It's amazing how powerful it is. And if there are lies that you can think of, you write down the lie, like what's the situation? Like for me, this wasn't in my notes, but I guess I'll just share it. Um, um, in December, Mike and I went on a trip to Oregon with his family or his parents. They have a beach house in Oregon. And, you know, like I said, I don't know, years ago, we were struggling with the whole purity thing, and we really got a grip on that and have for a really long time. And in December, we went on this trip, and we had gone on the trip before, and um, leading up to that, you know, it was December, so Christ's life had ended probably earlier that month. We didn't have epic life for a few weeks. And so I wasn't filling myself up every day with truths and reading affirmations over myself. It was the busyness of holidays and you're with family and it's stressful and chaotic. And we go there and I, going into it weeks before, I was like, man, this trip is, Mike's gonna think this trip is so lame if we don't have sex. 
those were thoughts I was telling myself. I was like, we're gonna get married. He's gonna think I'm like, just this, I'm just being real right now, so there might be more details than you need, but just like I'm prude and just all these things. Like you start thinking all this stuff. Like, man, like I love him. I wanna give whatever desires are there. And you start thinking that that's the right thing to do, right? You're battling with your mind. The enemy's coming as your thoughts. And sure enough, we go there. And by the end of the trip, like we had done that. And I was devastated because my whole goal, like for so long, I was like, man, we had done so many things so wrong for so long. Like the whole engagement, I just want to be pure. You know, like that's kind of like, in my mind, that's how we were going to redeem everything that had gone wrong. So I let myself, I didn't follow any of those tactics. I kept it in the dark. I didn't tell anyone. Because when I first started thinking that, I was like, that's so dumb. Like nobody... It's lame. I'm like, what am I gonna say? Oh, I feel like I'm supposed to do this on this trip. How embarrassing, right? So I kept it in the dark and I waited and I didn't say it. And then it just kept perpetuating, like kept getting deeper and the lies started just coming. And sure enough, by the end of that trip, I was just like, so upset. You know, like the one thing I wanted to do, we couldn't even like handle, you know? We couldn't wait. And so in that, I just had to immediately just start writing truths down. Like, this is what God wants of us. This is the truth of who I am. This is the truth of Mike. He never told me those things. Like, I built it up in my head. He never put that on me. I put it on myself. It's crazy. People don't even have to say anything to you, and you start thinking these thoughts. Because the world tells you that, right? The world says you're supposed to have sex or you're lame. It's not true. It's been so amazing since then, and we have 70 days or something that we're counting down. (laughs) It's amazing, because from that point, like I've gotten so diligent, the second something comes up, I have battle buddies, right, that I talk to, my roommates, like they're always checking in with me. People that love me ask questions. Before I used to be like, stop bugging me about it. Now it's like, thanks for loving me, you know, and checking in and asking and the moment something comes in our head, like you speak it out loud because it totally loses the power. If I would have said that to someone out loud, immediately would have lost power because I would have thought, that is so stupid. That is not my thought. That is definitely not God's thoughts. So I just encourage you, if you guys think like any of those things come to mind, write it down on that paper. And you basically, you write the lie or the situation, like mine would have been going to Oregon. And then you write the feelings that it makes you think, all those things like I need to do this, I, all these things. Then the lies, you know, I'd be lame if I didn't have sex, I'd be a prude, I'd be, he wouldn't want to marry me, all this stuff. And then you speak the truth. So just work your way across that, that worksheet and I encourage you to do it tonight or before you even go to sleep, like don't wait on it. Hope that's okay that I shared that. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so as the band comes up, um, <laughs> on that note. I just want to ask you guys, what's your relationship with your father look like? Is it just paper correspondence? Or do you actually know him and spend time with him? What's your home look like? Is it a mess or have you swept it clean? And if you swept it clean, what have you filled it back up with? And if any of you guys haven't had God's just supernatural house cleaning, like I encourage you tonight just to contemplate that, step into that. And if any of you guys have lies written down, but you can't figure out what the truths are, like come pray with someone about it. 
We have crazy powerful people up here that pray every night or every Thursday. Come find any of us, we'll help you identify what those are so you don't have to live some of the same pains that we've lived through. So I love you guys. Thank you.